We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. Yeah, got the swagger back now. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, a, uh, a very much more genuinely jovial edition of the pod recording this uh, at 6.11 p.m. on uh, what is I've lost track of the days. It is Thursday um, and I'm joined, of course, by my compatriot uh, all the way through these playoffs. Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. How are you feeling today? No silver linings today, John. Just <laughs> What's gold linings. Lining? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all just, gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that was great. It was a really exciting game. Uh, came, I mean, it was a it was a win first and foremost. That was great, yes. but it was also how they got there. That was just so exhilarating. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good to be uh, tied one and one. It's uh, steak and lobster for everybody uh, right now uh, until until game three, at least. Uh, so uh, quick programming note. Um, you are getting uh, a little bit of a bonus on this episode. Uh, not just me and Jeremy coming up in a little bit. I got a chance to speak to MSG's Monica McNutt, who you I'm sure have seen on the MSG pregame show, halftime show, postgame show. Um, recorded that conversation a little while ago. So uh, after myself and um, young Mr. Cohen are done talking, uh, uh, stick around because you're going to get that that combo. And uh, like I said, it's a lot of fun. But first, of course, me and Jeremy have some some business to attend to, which is to um, discuss this game that. Um, so I, I just I want to open by saying <laughs> I went right to the live stream after the game and then I sat down and I wrote about it and then I went right to sleep 
got up, did a second edition of the newsletter, finished that and rolled right into the, the uh, Friday's edition of the newsletter and have been working on that all day and then rolled right into the talking to Monica. I just came back from a walk. As you know, I love to do with my family. And now I'm sitting here with you. It's weird. It, it were, it's almost 24 hours since the beginning of game two. And I still don't know that I fully processed. I know what happened, but the the gravity of what took place and just how was it was how batshit crazy was that? Because I'm not sure I, I even realize what, 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 where are you at on the batshit crazy meter? I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a moment, maybe a few, where I thought, all right, this is like, <laughs> we're, we're going to be the Clippers. This is what's going to happen. The The Hawks are going to go up to nothing, and that's just going to be it. You know, like the way it was working was towards the end of the second quarter when things really seemed to uh, escalate drastically. I In a I bad way. <laughs> in a bad way, of course. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like I didn't think that they would necessarily lose, but I thought like this is becoming more and more daunting of a task. But the one thing I did think of was what about the Knicks covering? And <laughs> I lied at the Knicks and then I doubled down on it and then they won. So clearly I wasn't thinking like, Oh, they're not going to lose or like that. They're not going to win. I thought yeah. that there was still a chance to win, but there was something about it where they're a second half team. That's very much their DNA all year. And they were. And Julius Randall remembered, oh, yeah, I won the most improved player award for a reason. It's because I'm really good and I can attack the defense very well. And if my shot comes around, then I'm going to be unstoppable. And for some few moments, I mean, you know, he hit the three in the beginning of the third and then didn't seem as great after that. Tossed the ball out of bounds and some crazy plays after. But things started to click. And uh, before you know it was what like almost a 10 point game was a 10 point it, game? it was a 10 point game it was the whole i mean just everything about the night was it was just the it was it was the ultimate roller coaster ride which is like we were we spoke on this podcast i guess a, a week ago now i'm i've forget about losing track of day a week and a half excuse me two weeks almost about how the last couple of games of the season were, were kind of a microcosm of the season as a whole and this game felt like that because you got off to the hot start, like uh, the briefest of hot starts, but they were at one point. Don't forget, what were they up? Seven to three, I think. But it felt like RJ had a three. I think RJ had another basket. It just it, it felt good. And then, oh no, oh no, 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 bad, lots of bad. But then they fought back, and I think they got it to within one in the first half. And then, as you alluded to, end of the second quarter was a shit storm. Julius comes out, hits. What if I, I've wrote it today? I'll say it again. If they win this series, I think that shot will go down as the biggest moment of the series because it reestablished him as, as you said, a guy remembered. He, he's hit forty-two percent almost from three this season. Um, but even then, it there was a few minutes of like this, like they it didn't come right away, and then thirty-three points in ten minutes. They went on a thirty-three to eleven run over that span of time. And that was the game. It was literally the Knicks put their shit together for 10 minutes and they won the game. Like that's, but all season long, it's like other people look at this team and they're like, it's the Knicks. We can't take this seriously, but it doesn't like they get it done when they need to get it done. It's, it's incredible. It's unbelievable what they were able to do. Yeah. 
great. Um, so I'm gonna go through some names. Tom Thibodeau, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock, Julius Randle, Obi Toppin. All of them had an, a, a significant hand in this victory. Um, would you do you think it's close between two or three of those guys as to who was most responsible for this? Or do you think a uh, similar question to what we dealt with the other day? Do you think it's one head and shoulders above the rest? I think it's close. I mean, you know, if we want to break it down, right? We look at Tibbs and how I thought Tibbs was the biggest culprit of game one. And it seemed through that first half, it's going to be the same story that the Knicks were going to fail to make the proper adjustments. I mean, they, you know, they, they tinkered here and there, but schematically, maybe it wasn't the biggest change no. game to game. And yeah. you're thinking, oh my God, it's a double digit lead for Atlanta going into halftime. They're going to go home up to nothing unless something drastic happens. Well, hold on, pause there. Did you think he was going to make the change? I wondered. I really did because of the fact that we had talked about in the last episode, the idea of like, okay, well, getting through that first game is like, this is kind of the reason, but, but then there's that continuity. And then, you know, if you had said like Tibbs will start Rose to begin the half, yes or no, I probably would have said, no, it'll be elf. I think I would have said no too. But I had an inkling like, look, this just isn't working. And the Knicks keep getting off to slow starts for a reason. gave it away. Right. (laughs) And there's just no continuity. There's nothing like the Knicks need those first few minutes to get their kinks out. But the problem is that they've been getting it with Alfred Payton and then they've needed Derek Rose to kind of get hot. But he is, you know, he's coming off the bench as well. So it's like in the time that it would take for the entire rotation to be warm and loose, no one's really ready yet. No one's in sync. And you know, so that was kind of the, the big thing for my feeling. But I think you have to say Rose was the number one factor. I mean, he was just on fire. He played 39 minutes, which is just staggering. It's um, I think you you have to as well say Taj too, though, because, you know, Noel looked like a shell of himself in a lot of ways. It's not a great matchup for him. The ankle, I have a feeling, is bothering him more than is being led on. I mean, it was great Noel. that he could play for Noel. Yes. Yeah, there was there was a report about that, I think, somewhere today. I, I, I have not paid as, enough attention to Twitter today. But yeah, I think I saw something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, look, Bullock just being himself, right? Like, he yeah. doesn't have to do anything extraordinary. He just has to hit a few catch and shoot threes. Um, maybe some movement when he has the ball in his hands for a pull-up jumper. He basically did that. And that was all he had to do. Randall, you know, second half, yes. That's when things really started to click. But... I think the fact that he didn't have to play with Alfred Payton, which is also a Tom Thibodeau decision, uh, that was huge. That was enormous for the entire team. And you could sense it right out of the gate. Um, and then lastly, I mean, Obi, you know, what, what more is there to say? It was a, it was a fun it's, moment. It was a fun moment, but it was more than that. It was a fun moment because yet again, we're sound like a broken record here. He's contributing to winning, you know, not to sound like Tibbs, but that's, that's what he's, and the, the alley-oop was like, um, oh, and the Bre- the Breen calls what made that alley oop. For I'm sure being there would have been fantastic, but just you know how how Breen screamed it was really great in my opinion. Uh, I will that, say, does that take precedent over the RJ dunk? Do you think because they won the game? I think it does. I think it has yeah, to. It yeah, has to. It, it takes precedent over his first dunk. That's for sure. But I will say this: the the thing about Toppin that's so funny to me is I remember when before the draft thinking about like what his archetype is, who he kind of resembles the most. 
And I, I know you felt this. I felt this way too. Yeah. The idea of like a John Collins, I, but I know where you, yeah. without the defense. And we're now seeing Obi Toppin and John Collins in the same series together. And, you know, game one, I mean, t- Collins was fine. I thought overall hit some yeah, nice a couple of nice lobs. Yeah, but, but we're talking about now like Toppin playing, certainly outplaying him in game two and leading to winning basketball also on the defensive end. Yes. I mean, he was so active defensively, especially on that play before him getting the alley-oop. Yes. Just yes. Remar- I think he he deflected it and blocked it. Well, with, that was, I think, a couple plays. I think that was a couple plays before. They, um, they play immediately before the alley-oop. He just played some really nice defense on Gallinari. Um, right. But um, to your point, like, you could still get him. Like, we see, like they got him on... Um, in the second half of game one where he didn't go back over to Gallo fast enough and Gallo got a three, like those moments still happen, but that's a rookie thing. That's not a, you can't play defense thing. I think we're past the, can this guy play NBA defense? Cause then the answer is pretty clearly yes. And that's very exciting moving forward. Um, I think it has to go to Rose. Um, I love Taj Gibson. Like I love actually if I'm, I, I hope my, I don't know if my dad listens to every podcast. Um, if dad, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. I love him like a like a father, um, even though I think he's younger than me. Um, it's fine. He's like, but he's <laughs> he Taj. He's like he all of our. Dad. He's yeah. like all of our dads. Um, all due respect to him. All due respect to, to Tibbs for making some adjustments at halftime. Uh, this was the Derrick Rose game, as far as I'm uh, concerned, because I mean, what more is there is to say? Um, he's Derrick Rose is amazing. Um, he can manufacture. And it, the crazy thing is he didn't even shoot it that well. He was no. only nine of 21. I saw that today and I'm like, how is he only nine of 21? But he was, um, he just has a sense of the moment. Um, you could argue he made the biggest bucket of the game when they were tied in the fourth quarter with, uh, they were tied at 91, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he put them up. So yeah, I think it's Rose. Um, so someone asked on last night's live stream, um, and I'll say my answer and then I'll, I'm curious what yours is. This was your your favorite Knicks win since when? I said it was since the um, Game 7 uh, 2000 Eastern Conference semifinals against Miami. Um, for me personally, this was above any regular season win, and it was above anything from 2012-13. Um, what, what say you? Man, it's been so long that I – I don't know. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's the Miami win. The, the win against the Heat in what, 2011? Oh, wait. The that first... was after a regular season win. No, no, no. I'm talking about the, the series where the playoff series where the Knicks won game four. Oh, when they were down 3 0, or they right. were down 0 3. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, maybe you could say something about them clinching it against Boston, but that whole series to me felt like after that J.R. Smith elbow yeah. incident. And, and wearing the all black, it just like the energy and the momentum fizzled. And it just like, great. You, you were up right. Three, nothing. And then they were three, nothing and four the, to two. Cool. And then they lost the next two. It, I, I don't think I've ever said this not to get off track in some ways. I felt that that's when they got eliminated when they couldn't close the door. Cause it felt like, holy shit. When they went up three, I'm like, wow, wait, is this team really going to fuck around and do something this year? And then they lost those two games and you're like, and then they, um, they obviously lose game one against Indiana. So yeah. Um, I don't know. I put it above anything from that year or the year before. I just, I, I do too, because yeah. also this team, it feels like there's a fighting chance, right? That was yeah. a ceiling team. 
you're expecting them to at least go to the next round. This you're not, you're, you're expecting them to be good. You're hoping they're better, but the expectations are, are so low that it, it just winds up being positive all around. I was talking to, to Delore about this uh, before. Cause she's like, I want to go to a game. I'm like, settle down. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, I, I guess it's the reason why I'm, I'm not, like there's a part of me that's like, well, this team can't win the championship this year. So it doesn't, there's a part of me that doesn't feel that it is as paramount to get to a game at the garden for the playoff run, because I'm like, it's not going to result. Like there is no chance it results in a championship. And then she's, she's like, well, wait a minute. So, but you're going to be disappointed when they lose. It doesn't matter who they lose to. So like, how does that work? If you know they're not going to win at all, but you're also going to be incredibly disappointed. And I, I had no answer for her. Um, and I, I, I realized like, this team really does feel like it could beat any given team on any given night. It's just crazy. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just wanted to say that. Um, well, okay. As usual, your yeah. wife is right. I, thank you for that. And yes. You should go. It was a great time. And I saw a loss. I saw a crushing loss with you did. 0.9 seconds left. And I had the time of my life. You did. Best game, best, best Knicks game I've ever attended. So um, one, one might say the best time one could have uh, outside of uh, Atlanta in a particular establishment. Yes. Um, one might say that. Okay. Uh, another thing from the live stream after the game um, we were talking about, uh, I, I, Oh, this is my, this is my mea culpa moment. Um, so someone asked, or maybe I just brought it up best that Derek Rose was like the Knicks best in season trade. Um, I think I said, since Dave DeBusher, I forgot a couple of in season trades um, for one. Derek Harper was an in-season trade. I completely forgot that. Uh, helped them obviously go to the finals. Was arguably the best player in the 94 finals. Um, and Earl Monroe, I did not realize this. Someone, I forget, I, I should give, I, I don't want to spend too much time looking up. Someone reminded me on Twitter today that Earl Monroe, he was traded three games into the season. Another pretty big one. Um, there's also Carmelo Anthony. Um, also, Stefan Marbury, and I, I, I believe you uh, have another dark horse contender, or is that a- uh, Andrew who put that down? The the uh, must have been Andrew. There must have been Andrew. Okay, he mentioned uh, the the Kristaps Porzingis trade as an in season trade because it kind of set up everything we're seeing now. I think that might be a little bit of a bridge too far. Um, I this is good. Is, oh, I'm sure I'm going to get shit for this. I think this is a bigger deal than the Carmelo Anthony trade. Not. Not in terms of overall impact on the franchise. Obviously, the Carmelo Anthony trade set them up for 2012-13. It set them up for really several years. It was like it was a like there was real excitement over that team, over him, the whole thing. But in terms of his impact that year, like they struggled after he got here. He struggled a little bit. And then they had one great playoff game and um, he had one great playoff game. And then they, I think they, didn't they get lose 4-0? Yeah, they lost 4-0 in that series. So, like, I don't know. Derrick Rose is just the best player in a playoff game that they won. I kind of put the Rose trade above this for, again, in-season acquisition and its impact on that season. Well, we're talking about expectations too, right? Yes. When you acquire Carmelo Anthony. And you give up. Right. The Fuck everything. Yes. That's what you're left with. You're left with Carmelo. Great player. Fantastic yes. player, going to be in the Hall of Fame. Wonderful, amazing. Probably going to have his number retired. 
in Eventually, yes. New York, because where else would it be? Uh, although it could be in Atlanta, ironically enough. Uh, I kid. I kid. Those were, uh, it was a fun few moments when uh, he was a hawk and then they gave him a jersey and then cut him. Um, I think everybody Carmelo has played for should should retire. Let's retire his number in Denver. Let's retire his number in Portland. Let's retire his number in Oklahoma City, yep. Houston. There was a rumor he was going to go to L.A. Let's just retire his number there, too. Yeah, let's just let's just do exactly what we did for Jackie Robinson. Hey, you know Seven what? and 15 completely off the board. Well, while we're at it, all yeah. sports, uh, please continue. I'm sorry, so sir. The thing about Rose is that it was at the time like, okay, this is your acquisition. You're not going to go far. Like you're just getting a mentor. Great. You know, again, like for me, the idea of Rose at first was terrifying because it was, why are you buying? Like, how are you really going to give up a pick, a really good pick? And then we found out it's not going to be a really good pick going to be like the 40th pick what or at least what turned out to be that yep. totally fine and then rose started playing better even better so i think for him it's it's there's a subtlety to it right like it's hard for me to talk about the Derek carper trade as i admittedly was not alive yet uh when that happened so i can't speak from personal experience he was good oh he was yes, good he was a big, definitely it was was. big deal uh yeah. but yeah in terms of rose i think maybe it's recency bias but everything about what he's doing and is this like okay? Let's say he wasn't there, right? Who else would it be? It wouldn't be anyone, right? Um, they, they wouldn't. Be, they wouldn't be here right now. Right. Or, or they I trade for so. you know some expiring contract that's like good enough but not great. And I, you know, he doesn't have this type of impact whatsoever. There's there's a synergy. There's this energy as well that just comes from Tibbs and Rose and even Taj too. Um, can't leave him out. We could call it the Holy Trinity if we wanted to. I mean. <laughs> Could I don't see why we would. I mean, oh, listen, open. I have a lot of years of, of, of Catholic and Jesuit education that I feel comfortable referring to those three as the Holy Trinity. Um, which one's the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is the I always that's the one it's that would be, confuse me. I think it's gonna be wait, are you saying uh theologically or in this scenario? In in this scenario, okay, one good. of those three has to be the because there's the there's Jesus who's the son of God. Yes. Then there's the God who's God. And then right. there's the Holy Ghost. Now these are all three the same person, but they're all different. Right. But at least you could you could visualize son and dad. Holy Ghost is like in the So, out in the, so the Holy Ghost has to be Tibbs. It has to be Tibbs because he's on and the then, sidelines. Right. And the father has to be Taj. Has to be Taj. And the son is Jesus. Is Derek okay. So Derek so. Rose is Jesus. I think that's hey, hey, holy shit. He has the fucking God's son tail. Oh my goodness. The perfect, perfect gr- grouping. Look at this. Look at you. You're a bad Jew right now. I guess so. But <laughs> now that we've offended everybody from all, all <laughs> faiths. I like how each podcast is just turning into finding like one entity, one group of people that we just, you know, it's yeah, have fun we, with. We can't afford it. No, okay. We cannot. Uh, we definitely sidetracked. This is way off the rails. And Andrew's not here to corral us back. No, so he's not. So I will. Be, this will be the last time that happens. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. No, let's move on. Um, so emerging subplots in this series, and then we'll do a quick um, game three preview, and then we'll, we'll get to my interview with Monica. Um, all right. I'm just going to actually read read these off. Possible emerging subplots. You tell me which of these is the most interesting to you. And, and if you want to do alternatively, which one is not interesting to you? So here they are. Alfred Payton's future in the rotation. Um, can we not? Can we both agree not to pick this one? I don't want to talk about this. We can avoid it, especially because I 
I'm fearful of what the answer is. I have nothing. I have nothing to say. Oh yeah, the, there's yeah, nothing. Yeah. What what is there to say? The proof um, is in the pudding. We saw it. It was evident. It, we yes, don't, we we don't need to. Okay. And yeah, um, I still expect him to start, but whatever. There you go. Um, Julius Randle shooting struggles. Okay, we'll put that aside for a sec. Uh, Trey Young emerging is I hate to say it, kind of a. Well, was he a star already? I don't know. Can you be a star if you never make it to the playoffs? Whatever. He's emerging as something. Um, some fans in the garden uh, being uh, not very nice people. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, it was a fan that was uh, the Knicks did the right thing, permanently banned him because he spit on Trey Young. So that's not cool. And then this uh, New Orleans, uh, I guess, trip, trip gate. Is there a trip gate? Tripping uh, Trey Young intentionally. I, I honestly am not even really that privy to this. Um, I, to me, the 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 only subplot that I honestly really care about, all due respect to like anybody who has issues with like, I don't know, cursing chance um, is if Randall like. Is there a chance that just Randall's going to struggle all series? Um, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that like because if he let's just say for argument's sake, he comes out in the first half of game three and it's like two for eight or something. With, you know, one for five from three or something like that. Like, at what point do we begin to be like, well, wait, well, wait a minute. He's is maybe just this. This is not going to happen in these playoffs. So I'm paying attention to that. Um, that's about it. You? Well, yeah, I have no interest in talking about the fans or Tripgate in the sense of nope. It's in the past. Let's just move on. Yeah, no one wants. I'm not to here see. to talk about the past, Jeremy. Right there, we go. There you go. Yeah, uh, I will. Wow, that sounded. Little foreign there. Oh, I will. Um, I think the Randall thing is valid for sure, especially because we know how dominant he was against Atlanta this past year. Yeah, uh, it's certainly concerning if he looks like he did for the first six quarters or so. Um, I think the thing about Trey Young just emerging as a star. You know, I mean, it takes players, I think, usually until their third year to really break out. And Trey has been phenomenal this series. To the point where, like, you know, I think with a much better point of attack, you could neutralize him even more. And the Knicks haven't really done that. Um, I thought Elf, honestly, to start the game was okay in his few minutes. And then it kind of deviated from there. And he definitely got a little bit worse. And then was yanked and didn't see the floor again. But, you know, it's it just, are you going to start Frank? I don't see it. I don't see you. Oh, God, no. That. We know, we right. know that's so, not happening. We knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. We the talked the last point week. more, it's like, if you're not going to start Rose, you know, if, if you're sticking with Peyton, are you going to then play Rose for another 38, 39 minutes? Well, I, just really quickly, speaking of which, we talked about this on the last pod, the whole Tibbs philosophy. Of if your players are not, if your stars are out there longer than the other teams, then you have a better chance of winning. Yes. The fact that Nate McMillan oh. was saying, oh, you know, like we played our guys 35, 36, like playing them 40 minutes or so, that's, that's asking a lot of them. What does that say to your team? Like the idea of you can't play, like you can't endure that type of, of minutes because if he puts Trey Young and Bogdanovich back in the game sooner, we're likely looking at a 2-0 deficit. Well, the not, um, I don't know, but they, the, the whole, they, this was an analogy I saw, which I think was from the athletic where it was just like the idea of the Hawks had the opportunity to step on New York's neck and break it. And they didn't, they let the Knicks go Yeah, but as a result. The next one. Can I just say on that point, because I've been thinking a lot about this. They tied. Not only did they tie the game, they they tied the game with like five minutes left. Right. Or they were the, within one with five minutes left. And then they made it tied with three. And it's not like they had were like usually when you get a comeback, 
the guys making the comeback run out of gas. They didn't even expend any gas. They ran out, They ran off a 9-0 run in about 90 seconds, if, if, sure. if not less. But the thing is that if you bring those guys in earlier as well, you could stifle what the Knicks are doing or match them. I mean, it seemed every time during the game, before the second half, right? In the first half, That's... and even actually even in the third quarter, every time the Knicks would take a step, it seemed like the Hawks were in lockstep yeah, with Bogey them. would hit a fucking fadeaway or, right. or, or yeah. So, yeah, I mean, of course, the, the Knicks... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To take that lead, but I don't think it would be to the point necessarily where it can't be combated by the Hawks if they have their best players on the I, floor. It's a fair point. I'm not going to be like, if I, here's where I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, if he had brought them in earlier, it's a definite win. That said, uh, Chris Herring had a great piece today for SI um, in which he talked about this with Nate McMillan. And this is not Nate McMillan's first rodeo with um, some questionable decision-making in terms of minutes allotment. Uh, he referred uh, read the piece from from Chris, but he referred back to when he was the Pacers coach. He didn't bring um, he didn't extend uh, Victor Oladipo in a key game against the Cavs. Uh, Pacers ended up losing that series in seven. We'll see what happens here. That's actually a good transition. Uh, so looking forward to game three um, Friday, 730. So tonight at 730 um, MSG ESPN. Um Biggest thing you want to see happen differently. So again, went back and I rewatched most of the game too. Um, and I saw some people on, on Twitter saying that they didn't, they still didn't think we were going after Trey young enough on defense. They keep slotting young on whichever wing. It's usually Reggie Bullock, but sometimes it's Alec Burks over in the corner to the point where like, you can't really do one-on-one damage from there. So then the question becomes, okay, do you bring that guy out and then, you know, switch? Ultimately, this is going to come down to, are they going to make a decision? The Knicks, are the Knicks going to make a decision to rejigger their offense and put Trey Young into high pick and rolls and force the issue? And how, how do you do that um, if, if, he, if they're going to – like? How, like, do you do that with Rose? And so do you run high pick and rolls with like Rose and Reggie Bullock or Rose and Alec Burks or quickly in Bullock or like whichever combination it is? Um, I just, or are, you know, even RJ, like this is not something the Knicks have done all year. It is outside of their, of their, I, I want to say comfort zone. But as, as you mentioned, 
this is the playoffs. This is the playoffs. Things are different. So I, that's what I'm curious about moving forward. Do they do they get to a point where they resort to doing that on offense? Do they feel comfortable with that? Do they feel like that's going to be like, all right, we could we could pull this off and make it worth it for us? That's what I'm looking for. I think I'm looking more on the offensive end in terms of just not so much targeting Trey, but a lot of times the offense looked clunky. There were yeah. sluggish passes or, you know, when a player had an open shot, just neglected to take it. Um, that kind of thing. Cause the Knicks I checked were they had the second best three point shooting percentage from March 1st to the end of the year. So, you know, things are getting tighter, but something about the shooting has just kind of been off. And I do wonder if maybe the fans have some sort of impact, maybe from a defensive standpoint, the fans are great, but offensively, I mean, we're, we're seeing these two teams that are very good shooting teams, just not hitting it. And I'm wondering if, if if there's a certain point where maybe it is because of the fans, maybe it's because of, you know, just people in their periphery. I think the Hawks not hitting shots. I think the Knicks, I don't think there's been a ton of just like you're wide open and you have all the time in the world. Like the, the, the Knicks are making them think about these threes. That said, they have missed a few open ones, more than a few open ones, probably. I asked, uh, here's a little tease. I asked Monica McNutt that exact question. Do you think the fans are, are getting, and I'll, I'll uh, listen for that. Listen for her answer. Um, okay. Um, biggest thing we think will change in game three. I, other than the starting line. Uh, let's actually a good opportunity to talk about this. Do you think that there's a chance that he starts Taj? That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think he'll start Taj. Oh, man. But then that, that's the other thing. You you neutralize Taj and Rose together, which is still a nice tandem. Yeah. I mean, you stagger them in such a way. You could, like, but then, but then you're Why? already expending time. Right. That's the thing. But I thought Noel did fine, I guess, on the back as a, as a second stringer. You know, coming off the yeah, bench no, in the third no, quarter. I, I think no, I think Noel's fine. Um, you know, Birch can throw a good lob. Um, quickly could throw a good lob. Um, I think the key is that if you start Rose, you're pulling him for whatever it's end of the first slash third quarter, beginning of the second slash fourth. And it's a question of is Tibbs confident that the team could score as as much as they need to during that stretch of, you know, whether it's 10 minutes total, 12 minutes total, whatever it is. And that's where I, and I'm, I'm going to write about this a little bit for Friday. I think the emergence of Obi Toppin, throwing it back to what we said before, as, an, as a bit of an offensive weapon, like, does that factor into whether he's more comfortable starting Rose? Because he feels like, wait a minute, I really have something with this bench unit now, without Rose, just with quickly Burks, Toppin, um, the fuck am I forgetting? Um, the center and then, Oh, I guess in this world we're making it a nine man rotation. Right. So it's, you know, RJ or, or Reggie Bullock, whoever um, we'll see. Um, nothing would shock me, um, which leads us to a perfect transition. Uh, last thing we're going to do before we get to my interview with Monica um, confidence level in for game three confidence level for the series. And then of course um, prediction. Hi. High for both game three and the series? Well, I think that the Knicks will win at least one in Atlanta. That's my gut feeling. Um, I don't I know if so it'll be too. game three or four. That's the. Uh, that's you know. where I'm exactly at the same place. And that's why my confidence level for the series is not. I can't say it's high. It's like. But then here's the thing, right? You said Knicks in seven. 
And the idea yeah. of the Knicks winning one game in Atlanta, which would mean that home court advantage has been restored. Yeah, but here's what I don't like. I don't like the idea of losing game three, winning game four. And then, but it, let me rephrase that losing game three and then having to be in a position to win three out of four against Atlanta, because then you're talking about, all right, we're going to steal game four. Great. Do you come home? It's game five game. Like you just had a must win game and now you have another must win game. More or less. I mean, yes. Could you lose game five and then go into Atlanta, win game six, come home, win game seven? Yes, it's possible. But like, I don't really want to be in that spot. So I, I, this might sound crazy, but I really do feel like game three has almost the, Maybe not equal importance to game two. It's damn close, though. No, game three is incredibly pivotal. I don't have the exact number, but I remember that in series that were tied 1-1, the winner of game three would typically win the series 80%, at least 75 something. to 80% of the there time. Yeah, that sounds right. And that's huge. I mean, that to say that eight out of 10 times, basically, the winner of game three in that scenario wins the series, it's, it pretty much dictates it. Yeah. So, right, that's why I think that I would feel a lot better if the Knicks won game three, puts a ton of pressure on the Hawks. Um, but again, the Knicks really just need to win one for, and then it's a best of three. That's the other thing. You, you don't I'm, have to look at it as like, I know it's it's hard not to. I know. Where we're standing. But the, the thing is that the Hawks also have to do the same thing. They also have to win three out of five games. Let me say this. I like the fact that there's two games off between game four and game five, because if the Knicks do drops three, if they drop three and then win four, you can, it's kind of like you reset it and like there's an extra day to let the air out of the balloon, I guess would be, would be the best way to say it. Um, okay. Um, we have to predict uh, the score. So are we both going to go Knicks win this game? I don't know. Cause again, like if the Knicks lose this game, I'm just going to pick the Knicks to win game four because I still believe that they're going to split it. So um, I'll say this because I'm confident in the series because I said the stat, you know, the general stat about how the Knicks do, I have to go with Knicks game three. I have to. I, otherwise, it would, you know, I'm I, basically just saying they have to overcome greater odds, 20 or so percent chance of winning the series after dropping game three. Something has to go right that hasn't gone right. I, I don't mean to say, like, something has to for this. I, I mean more like, I believe something will go right that has not gone right yet. Whether it's Randall coming out and having a huge game, quick having a, we get a quickly game, we get a something. I like what I've seen enough from the defense, especially over the second half in game two. Barely. I like what I've seen enough. I think the Hawks are going to hit more threes. They only hit 26% or 27% from three in game two. It's massive factor in how they lost. Oh, goodness. The devil's advocate, though. The Knicks <laughs> shot less than 30% from the floor for the first half. Oh, the Knicks shot like two. shit. The whole, no, they're, they're right. game. Well, I mean, the whole, right, yeah. whole game as well. But I'm saying specifically. They shot under 40% for the game, yeah. Right. But even in that first half where it was like yeah. 28, 29%, yeah. you know, something's got to give. No, you're 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 right. Um, all right, I get. I'll. I think the Knicks will win. Um, by. Let me pick a score. Well, I'll go. I go first. I was you closer go. for this one. Yeah. Thank you. I. <laughs> you're not welcome. That's fine. Um, what was the final score of this one again? It was one hundred one ninety two. Yeah. So I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say one hundred five one hundred. That's a good score. 
I'd be happy. I'm going to keep picking higher scores and eventually it's going to pay off for me. I'll go. Um, I'll go one fourteen one oh no. I'll go one fourteen one eleven. One fourteen one eleven. Is that a buzzer beater three? I don't know. <laughs> That's not required of me at this point. That's okay. Uh Jeremy, anything else from you before we get to the second half of the podcast? Uh Jalen Jacoby had a really fascinating stat. I just want to share Please. that Julius Randle last night, uh, Owen 15 opponent shooting as the primary defender. That's no, I saw that. Yeah. Just incredible. The most misses without a make by a primary defender in the postseason since the 2013, 2014 season. So um, seeing him and Trey go one-on-one together and Randall holding his own, it's just an incredible testament about where he's gone as a player. And, uh, I think it'll snap back for him. It has to. If we're betting on the law of averages, like he has been better, obviously. But to the point where I just, I have the supreme confidence in him because I like he is, he's been who he has been. And for him to have these two games or at least a game and a half. No, listen, weird. I think he'll just attack the basket, get, get things moving and uh, hopefully open things up. Maybe the corners open up more. Maybe Atlanta stops, you know, letting, like try, focusing all their attention on Randall. We'll what? See. What? Did, very quickly. What? What did he have this game? Uh, what did he? What did he score? Randall. He was it. Was it 16, 13, 12, with something in that range? Fifteen on sixteen shots. Okay, it was fifteen, and it was just the same amount that he scored in game one, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he has combined for in two games for seven fewer points than he averaged per game in this series throughout the regular season. And I'm sorry, I'm, I've been the one who's making the point about like, don't take what happened in the regular season. I do think that what Randall did in the regular season should at some point translate. And so I agree with you. You could look at it like, Oh, the Hawks did their job. They took one on the road. I look at it the other way. We've not yet gotten a Randall game and the Knicks uh, survived that once and they almost survived it twice. So yeah. Yeah. Knicks win game three. Knicks still win in series in seven. And um, on that note, we will now get to, uh, thank you very much, Jeremy Cohen. We will now get to uh, my conversation with MSG's Monica McNutt. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, I am very proud and happy to say that she is a returning guest. Um, not only because she's kind of blown up in the few months since she's been, I mean, talk about someone who's star. I know she's getting bashful. If you're watching on the YouTube, talk about someone who stars on the rise. Um, let's just talk about the here and now though. Um, you can, uh, if you're listening to this, you're listening to it on a Friday, a game day, you could catch her pregame on MSG getting underway at 6 30 PM. You catch her halftime on MSG. And of course the expanded one hour postgame show on Madison square garden network. Uh, the one and only Monica McNutt. Monica, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Macri, it's good to be back with you. Thank you for that blush-worthy intro. <laughs> that's all that, That's all I ever try. Listen, the content and the in- information for the fans is secondary to just making the guest blush. That's all it comes down to. Um, if I do that, I've done my job. Mm, okay. Well, you've done your job today. So happy okay. to chat with you. Let's talk about this team. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, um, so uh, I'll start with this. Uh, so we're recording this on on Thursday. It's at five o'clock. Um, it's been quite a last um, goodness, 22 hours as we're talking right now. 
Have you have you come down yet from that? Because I don't I, I think I'm still up in the air somewhere. I don't even know where I am. How, how are you feeling? Um, I'm in the process of coming down only because I have to put on my very analytical hoops hat to write about it for um, one of the national folks. Um, and I, I will say this of the two games so far. To me, the Hawks have reached closer to their ceiling in terms of good basketball than we have easily. Um, and so all things considered, I feel good. Uh, I'm with you. I was preparing for uh, something I'm writing as well. And as much as yesterday felt better, if you look up and down at the numbers and particularly the shooting numbers for us, um, it's not, it's not like we're anywhere near where we were. Forget about the most of the regular season, definitely the, the latter part of the regular season. Um, I'm wondering, so let's, Let's talk about the crowd for a second. Have you ever seen anything like that? Because you, you've played ball. You've covered a lot of ball. Like, wh- where does that rank for you? It's got to be top five. And I think this one will always have that asterisk that 2020 will have next to it, right? <laughs> like, it is, first of all, it's so heartwarming and encouraging to see people next to each other, right? Masks, and we understand been vaccinated, all that good stuff. Like, we understand that. But just to see the ability to gather again after the 2020 that we all went through. So I think you're getting some of that in the gratitude of this crowd. Um, But I also think eight years. Like, I don't have to tell you, you've been a Knicks fan. Like, there's such a tremendous energy and enthusiasm about how special this team has been and what they've accomplished this year. It felt like watching the videos um, of everybody spilling out onto 7th Avenue. It was really eight years worth of like frustration and like angst and like pent up all of the all of the bad stuff just came out and in a good way, um, which was crazy. What I wanted to ask you, though, and, and why I thought of the crowd, do you think that affected them, the the Knicks, in more of a negative way than maybe we anticipated in terms of like, you know, because the, the shooting numbers are what they are, and I don't have another explanation for it. Um, No, I'm not going to put it on the crowd. I, I don't think it was the crowd. Um, as Although as we dissect these good box scores, right, like plenty of room for improvement. Yes. The overall things for me, particularly in game two, you responded, right? You responded. Yes. You found a way. Crowd be damned. Shaking floor. OB emotional <laughs> chance from the, audience, from the crowd. Like, you found a way, and that's the bottom line. I do think that, and and Tim said this leading in, playoff basketball is different. Yeah. Um, and so I think the first for a lot of guys outside of D Rose, who has been our best player so far consistently. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing more than anything. Um, when I think of OB and Quick in particular, this is their first NBA crowds, right? Like this, you know, they're living the dream. So yeah. I, I'm no, I'm not gonna put the nerves on the crowd. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it on playoff intensity. Okay, so then next step, you go down to Atlanta. It's uh, usually on the road in the playoffs, a hostile crowd. Um, I have a feeling there may be a couple of Knicks fans down in Atlanta for these games. Um, do, do you <laughs> just listen, just throw it out there? Um, maybe they're all there for for Magic sitting wings. I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't really partake. Um, do Do you think just as this series goes along, are you are you expecting to just see them? more closely resemble the team that we we got accustomed to down the stretch of the season? Yes and no. Okay. I think if you just at, like if you just look at the vacuum of the matchup between these teams during the regular season, I don't know that that tells the whole story. 
I don't think like it does Hawks either. The Hawks are healthier. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Hawks are healthier. Obviously, in the third game of the regular season, Trey got hurt in the second half. Like, you know, this is a team that's trying to win as well. You know? So, I think the Knicks will get better. Physically, they'll get more acquainted with the intensity of the playoffs. But they also got to keep thinking quick. Because the adjustments are going to – the moment is going to demand that. Um. Speaking of getting adjusted, uh, their coverage of the pick and roll, I think, was under some criticism after game one. Um, I had a feeling we were going to see more of the same with just some more intensity, maybe a little bit more help, targeted help. Um, We saw the centers come up high a little bit more, especially in the second half of game two. I kind of like how they're defending it because it neutralizes some other things that the Hawks try to do. Um, tell me though, what, what do you see out of like their defensive coverage? Do you like it? Would you like them to make any more adjustments? Where are you at? Um, third quarter yesterday or third quarter game two? Give me, give me all of that. Give me, give me, <laughs> give me that intensity. Yeah. Give me that level of concentration. Listen, Trey Young is very good, right? Like new villain in the garden, whatever you want to call him. He's very good. Clint Capella, he's very tall. He's very long. Like he's a beast around the rim. Yeah. And so the idea that you're going to completely neutralize these guys Nah, right? But what I do think played into the entire pot yesterday, particularly in the third quarter, was the aggressiveness with which the Knicks played to put pressure on this Hawks defense. And then in that mix, you got to talk about Reggie Bullock, who has been our 3 and D guy, right? And so there was the first three minutes of the ball game, you saw that defense flying around. You didn't really see it again until that third quarter, right? Yeah. But there's something to be said for being committed on the defensive side of the ball. And Trey is excellent, but Trey stands at under six foot, slight of body. Like you talking Reggie Bullock, who's six six, you know, easy. You know what I mean? Like, come on, let's 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 go. Let's. I think I still buy that defense wins championships, and even if your defense has to take another step in the playoffs, to me that remains more in character than for us to all of a sudden start D Rose or demand that Alfred Payton become this super scorer. Like, let's stay within character. Let's be better versions of who we are. Uh, I love that you said that. Again, we got Monica Nutt here. You could see her uh, pregame, halftime, postgame on MSG Network. She's all over the place. Um, Reggie Bullock, so I'm going to throw something at you, and I want you to tell me if it's a hot take. I broke it out. I think I broke it out a few weeks ago, and I referenced it again today, um, that I think Reggie Bullock, after Julius Randle and Derrick Rose, is the Knicks' third most important player. Because of what he brings on the defensive end, his defensive versatility, how you could put him on a Trey Young, you could put him on a Bogey Bogdanovich. And then on the other end, he has that gravity in terms of like, you know, defenses know where he's at at every second of, of the possession. Um, and when he gets going, Julius Randle gets going and vice versa. You think that's you think that's too far? Or we're, we're, we're like, Because I really feel he's that important. Nah, I don't think that's too far at all. Like, the the only pushback that I might have, Macri, is that you might go Bullock slash Burks in that okay, third spot. Okay, all right. But I don't think that's I think I don't think that's too far at all. And, and here's the deal. You said it, which is why it's even more important to me. When Reggie's on, Julius has an outlet. Yes. In the first two games, we've seen Drew revert a little to that spinning around thing. And that's, that's not good news. That's not good news, right? Not good news. But when, and that, remember, in that third quarter, I believe it was the basket that gave us the lead. What he, was hit, he hit the tying basket, and then in the fourth, I believe he was, he gave us, or he kept it at four. He had a lot of big threes. I'm getting confused. <laughs> and one of them, in particular, was a Julius Randle assist. Yeah. And so, those two, it's almost a tandem. And so, I don't think that's a hot take at all. It, it means you watch this team closely, and <laughs> are not just watching box scores. 
Well, th- thank you for that compliment. Um, so <laughs> we're burying the lead here uh, a little bit because, listen, um, I have tried a, a lot to this year think about is there a parallel in, in like New York sports history or even honestly basketball history for Julius Randle. And now I'm turning my attention to Derrick Rose and I'm asking myself the same question. A guy who obviously won an MVP, he was the youngest MVP in the history of the league. He was, there was a point where he was waived. A team waived him. The Jazz just said, we don't want it. Just go. Just, you take your ball and go go home. Anybody could have had him. Um, and now is he, I mean, what is he? Is he the 20th best player in the playoffs right now? The 15th? The 20th? I, like the fact that we're even having these conversations, like, can you, how crazy is this that we're, that this is happening right now? And, and it, we get to be the benefit beneficiaries of it. I love it. Mac. Like, like there's two things that stand out to me. One, I love how D Rose is so candid about this. Mm-hmm. When he talks about being grateful and understanding that there are guys younger, older in his same spot that didn't get the shot that he got. Like, I, I feel that. Like, I am someone who tries to lead with gratitude because it really changes your perspective. It demands that you meet the moment when you're so grateful. And he has done that in spades all season long and in the playoffs. But the second part of it to me, like, really big picture step away from sports and just for all of us to keep in mind, you've got to give your hopes and dreams room to grow and breathe. He probably never envisioned in his MVP season this point of his career coming so soon, right? But he's leaned in. He's worked on this version of his body, this version of his game, mm-hmm. and continues to meet the moment. And so when I think of Derrick Rose, I think of greats. Like, he's handled the game with care. He's handled his body with care. And he's a tremendous leader. Like, I don't know if we talk about him as a leader enough. Well, I want to actually, I want to talk about him as a leader right now because Obi Toppin, I know you've heard all the interviews that I have, and, and quickly also, the two of them, continue to bring up his name and it's not even like they're asked about him. They're just asked about like being a part of the team and the veterans and they bring up his name. And it's like, I'm just trying to put myself in their position. Like you're a 23 year old rookie, 21 year old rookie coming in and you're like, this dude won MVP. And now he's here coming off the bench. Yeah. Just trying to like, what must that be like? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, especially for quick, right? Like they got that cow connection, Calipari. Yeah. Um, I know that they were watching him in his prime. And so for them, there probably was that pinch myself. Like I'm not only have I made it to this league, I'm working alongside this guy who I admired from the point guard squad spot. If you're quick from all his dunking ability, if you're Obi, like I have followed and consumed this man's career and now he's my teammate. But you know, we had Kyle on uh, MSG PM with us and he talked about Derek a little bit. He's like, he's so shy um, and kind of a quiet person. But when you put him in his element, that being the 94 feet of a court, he's a beast, right? And I think, again, for him, as he's grown, part of his dynamic is to set the table for the younger guys and to lead the way. And, like, we're saying all these nice, rosy things, but don't get it twisted. The man's a dog. Like, he's a competitor, and we've oh. seen that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like... And, and so, not only him, but Taj Gibson. I just think it's so dope. He, yeah, the two of them together is what I love the most about this team, that they've been together now at three stops. And like Taj is my man, four green. I, uh, How great must this be for him, even more than Rose being from Brooklyn? Taj is the best. Like the first interview I did with Taj, she noticed my jewelry, which I like appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's Taj a good man the right there. Like, smart man. He's a good dude. He's he's such a great dude. Like, again, I don't know. 
And it was funny. I was watching the jump the other day and Vince Carter hit like 21 threes in the jump studio. And Rachel was like gushing about it. And I know it was this cute moment, but I think in our mind, when we consume NBA basketball, we don't even grasp how good these dudes are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for Taj, like, Game two, he had six points, seven rebounds, was three or four from the field. But but please keep him on the floor. Like, keep him on the floor because he gets it and he's important. Um, and he doesn't try to play outside of himself, but he's steady and he's going to play hard and he's reliable. So, I, just, I mean, Taj, I just – I had a D-Rose – I think yesterday my, I had a Reggie Bullock, Taj Gibson appreciation tweet. But, like, Taj <laughs> is literally one of my favorite people on the team. He's a guy that it's it's crazy because you think about, oh, he's a dude. He's a 35 year old dude on a minimum contract. How important could he possibly be? Well, they don't win that game without Taj Gibson last night. Um, he's, he's pretty darn important. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so, OK, uh, a couple more and then uh, I'll get you out of here. I still feel like this series is going seven. That's always been my prediction from beforehand. I, I missed. Did you have a prediction? And if so, what was it before the series? I had I had Nixon six, which Nixon. I will admit okay. was a little dismissive on my part. Well, I don't know if it was dismissive. I just think you've been watching the Knicks for the last couple of months, and they're really good. I uh, so okay. where's your level of confidence right now? <laughs> I still think they find a way to get out of the series, and if it comes down to the seating and home court advantage, that's what it's there for. And so I'm not mad at that. Um, I just continue to look at the trajectory so far and there's more room for the Knicks to get there. And I think they're going to get there. Whereas I really think game one was pretty close to the best punch from the Hawks. It might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, other word that we've heard all, all season with this team is family. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I feel like, I don't know, maybe they're just really good actors, but I feel like I could I could watch interviews and stuff and, and you could tell when guys are trying to like blow, you know, blow the smoke up, you know, where yeah. it doesn't feel like that to me. Um, and I almost wonder, like, look, I want them to win this series. Obviously, I'm a massive and crazy person fan, um, but I feel like that that family dynamic is instilled in this team, almost regardless of what happens, is going to hopefully carry forward to years to come. Are you, do you get that feeling too? Yeah, I do. I, I just, and we said this um, in March, I filled in a bunch of the Pope pre and post for Wally as he was doing CBS stuff. Um, it was like a perfect balance of like veterans, but not just like I'm sitting on a bench veteran, like veterans that play valuable minutes, yep. guys that are hitting their stride as professionals and then young guys. Like there's such a unique balance around this group. Um, I buy a hundred percent the family dynamic. I remember the presser when the big 15 was born and I was kind of like, eh, that's cute, but it's been true. And then it's they real. proceed to, to hang tough with, the, you know what I mean? Like that game. Um, and so it's, it's really something special. I think when the only people that bought in were the 15 guys in your locker room. Yeah. Like, did you predict this season, Macri? Cause I didn't. If, if someone would have came to me before the year and said they're going to win 30 games, I would have been like, I mean, can I have whatever you're having? Because I feel like, I mean, I, I, I give Tibbs coach of the year if they win 30 games with this roster. That's honestly what I probably would have said. And, and you weren't the only one. Like, I don't remember the national predictions, but nobody had this team performing as well. Oh, there were people so, who had them winning 15 games. And honestly, like just on paper, you kind of had to be like, well, 
I mean, you know, it's coming. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, if, if you're being honest, uh, yeah, no, it's been crazy. Um, and and the best part of it, uh, I have to say, has been um, just watching like all of the stuff from that that surrounds the team as well. Um, you are part of that. So the last thing I, I have to get your your thoughts on this before I let you go. Um, you're, 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 you're blowing up a little bit. I, I, I have to say I had a little bit, I know, listen, let me just, I had a little bit of like pride. Even, I know we don't really know each other, but like I listened to uh, Brian Windhorst and the hoop collective religiously. So when it popped up on my feed that Monty, I was like, Monty McNutt's on the hoop collective. Holy. I, so I was like, a little, I was a little excited, you know, on ESPN, the whole thing. Um, so I, I have to ask you what has, you know, what has the last bunch of months been like for you? I, I imagine pretty fun. I'm always ready to take a nap, Macri. Like always. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> That's great. Um, but it then, like again, like, and maybe this is why D Rose tugged at my heartstrings. Leading with gratitude, we are not that far removed from 2018. Where, quite honestly, I was about to go teach high school English and coach high school basketball because I didn't know that this was going to come back in this way. Mm. Um, and so I'm incredibly grateful. I'm working very hard. I'm having so much fun. Um, and it's really dope, like just in terms of the timing, the respect for women in the space. We've had conversations about um, diverse candidates. Like it's, it's a really great time to be in this space and all the Atta girls. I appreciate yours. I appreciate folks that hit me up on Twitter. Like that matters to me because a big piece of this and why I have pushed this doing it my way um, is so that I can leave breadcrumbs for the next chick coming behind me. And so I'm, I'm very, very proud of the headway that I'm making. Um. That's amazing. Thank you for saying that. That's that's awesome. And uh, hope ho- no. Ho- hopefully, listen. I'll, I'll I'll say it. There's too many white men doing this shit. <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get some more people. Oh, see, come on. We can we be honest? I mean, is that not allowed? Um, whatever. We can be honest, but you know what? And it's funny because like we always say, sports are a microcosm of society. Yes, lots of white men run society still, and so we're working. Like we're, working. we're working and I'm proud of the progress in this space and the larger spaces as well, too. So, well, um, I love it. Uh, but, but we are we are uh, company men and women here. So I, the last thing I will say is, again, uh, the first and foremost place you can catch Monica McNutt is on MSG Networks yeah. where uh, she will. There you go. Not my first rodeo. Uh, well, she will be live uh, before game three, of course, halftime of game three um, and after game three. And and you, listen, if you if you turn on uh, MSG at any point in time in the vicinity of a Nick game, you will see Monica. You will hear Monica. You will get her uh, insights and wisdom. Um, trying to think of anything else. Where, where can folks find you? Uh, Twitter. You're on Twitter. I know that. Yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Last name, first name. McNutt Monica. It'll pop up. It's, it's okay. been good. I'm having fun. Awesome. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Everybody out there, uh, thanks for catching another episode of the Next Film School podcast. And we will, of course, be back with you uh, with another one before you know it. Yeah.